Well, this morning, we're going to start a short study, short study, five weeks or so, on Matthew chapter 21 and chapter 22. And so we're going to start in 21. And this passage that we're going to study this morning has some strange stuff that happens in it and some strange things that are said, and it can be hard to understand. And, but uh, with that wonderful preview, let's just read it and see what kind of trouble we can get into this morning with Matthew 21. Here we go. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and putting their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Then Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, It is written, My house should be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he cured them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the amazing things that he did and heard the children crying in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became angry and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read, Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise for yourself? He left them, went out of the city to Bethany, and spent the night there. What is going on? There's a lot of... I got some questions. I got some questions. Why is Jesus riding into town on a baby donkey? And why does he take it? And why does the owner let him take it? Why do thousands of people wave branches and sing that he has come in the name of the Lord and most of them have never met him? Why does he go into the temple and start turning over tables and chairs? Why do the authorities get mad about kids singing, but not about the mess he just made in the temple? So we've got a lot to talk about here this morning. So I want to continue on the very good work that Alex did with you last week when he talked about how we view scripture and how we view the Bible. And I want to take kind of what he gave us and use it this morning and, and, and use chapter 21 this morning to show you a Bible study technique, a way of looking at scriptures that have difficult things in it like this that will help you to understand hard passages like this. And not just this one, but really I would say about half of the hard passages in the Bible, including a good chunk of the revelation could be understood, believe it or not, using this um, technique that I'm about to share with you this morning. So what happens is when you find a passage where strange things are happening and strange things are being said almost without any explanation, what you do is you ask yourself these questions. Has this ever been said in the Bible before? Has this ever happened in the Bible elsewhere? And then go read those passages where it happened or where it was said before and read everything that's around it. Because very often in that other passage, the meaning is far easier to understand there. 
And then you bring that meaning back into the passage that you're studying and it tells you what this one means also. It's almost like these passages have hyperlinks in them. So have you ever done a website like Wikipedia that has hyperlinks, you know, where you're reading like an article in the Civil War, but whenever you come to Abraham Lincoln, his name is in blue and underlined, or you come to the Battle of Gettysburg, his name is blue and underlined. And you know, if you punch that, you will go out to an article about Abraham Lincoln, or you'll go out to another article about the Battle of Gettysburg. And what you learn there about Lincoln and about Gettysburg will help you understand the Civil War better. So Matthew 21 has about six hyperlinks in them, and they will actually answer these hard questions that we have been asking. So let's give this a try. So our first question was, why is Jesus riding into town on a baby donkey? And why does he take it? And why does the owner let him take it? So this is a softball, which is good because it's our first one. And I like to start easy because it tells us right here in the text of verse four, this took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet saying, tell the daughter of Zion, So Zion is actually just the mountain that Jerusalem sits on top of, if you ever wondered. So tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Well, that is actually a quote from the prophet Zechariah, chapter nine, verse nine. So if we roll back 500 years to the time of Ezra, which we studied together in May, here is what we find. First, I want to show you the exact verse. It says, Lo, your king comes to you triumphant and victorious. He is humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So it's the exact words. It's the exact words that Matthew just used. So Matthew meant for us to come dig around back here. And so if we come digging around in Zechariah chapter 9, we find a prophecy about a coming king. And listen to the verse just before. Verse 8. Then I will encamp at my house as a guard so that no one shall march to and fro. No oppressor shall again overrun them. For now I have seen with my own eyes. He's saying this king will come to save you even though you feel forgotten. In the verse right after this, he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall spread from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. It's saying, don't just look for this king to reign and save Israel. Look for him to reign over and save and bring peace to the whole earth. And so that really tells us a lot about why Jesus picked that donkey. He knew what he was doing when he picked that donkey. He was saying, I am the fulfillment of all the things you've been hoping for for 500 years. Here I come. So why did he steal it? Um, That's also an expression of who he is because royalty back then could impress other people's animals into service. Kind of like in old cop movies where they're like, I'm commandeering your vehicle. Um, I don't actually know if they could ever do that. I'd have to have a police officer from the 60s tell me that. But um, kings in the Bible times could do that. I need your donkey. And so when that guy was told, why are you taking my donkey? And they said, the Lord needs it. At that moment, he had a choice. He could be like, well, they're probably maybe just stealing my donkey. But it is Passover, and I am hoping the Messiah will come. And if this is the day, I'll be able to say that the Messiah rode in on my donkey. So I'm sure he was like, let's take a chance. It's just a baby donkey. Um, and so that's why, though, that is another expression that, the, that he is a king, and the king has come. So... That's a lot of meaning we got from that hyperlink. So let's go to our next question. Our next question was, why do thousands of people wave branches and sing that he's come in the name of the Lord when most of them have never met him? Okay, so that is uh, uh, something they've been doing for 160 years. 
So 160 years before this passage, there was a priest named Judas Maccabees. And, and that back then they were ruled by the Greeks. In Jesus' day, it's the Romans. In Judas Maccabees' days, it was the Greeks. And they got tired of what the Greeks were doing. And so Judas Maccabees led a revolt and it worked. It threw the Greeks out. And so they waved, well, I'll just show you. This hyperlink doesn't go to a place in the Bible. It goes to a book called Second Maccabees, unless you went to Catholic school and then it was in your Bible. All right, and so here it is, Second Maccabees. Therefore they bear branches, fair boughs and palms also, and sang songs unto him that had given them good success in cleansing his place. And so uh, these ancient documents are so good for us, whether they're included in, these, in, in, in all Protestant Bibles or not. Um, they tell us important history about this passage. And what it tells us is what they're looking for. When they cut those branches and wave them and lay them on the road, they're looking for a king to come now and save them from the Romans. Now it says that the crowd goes in front of Jesus and behind Jesus and sings Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Hosanna means save us now. And the reason why they sing son of David is because they were looking for someone from the family tree of David because there are Bible prophecies that say that the savior of Israel will come from the house in the line of David. Now here's the catch. What they're singing is Psalm 118. Psalm 118, I don't, I don't think they picked especially for Jesus. I think they sang this every year at this time as they all walked in to Jerusalem. But Matthew points out that they're singing these words out of irony to say they're in front of Jesus and they're behind Jesus and they're singing this song and they don't even know that the answer to everything they're singing for is writing right there with them. The Bible loves to have people say things that they don't even know how right they are. Like when Pilate says, are you king of the Jews? And Jesus says, you just said it. Um, the Bible, Matthew especially loves when people who don't know what they're talking about actually get it right on accident. And so they're singing Psalm 118. So that is a hyperlink. And if we press it, Listen to all the stuff that Psalm 118 says about the coming king that they're not included in the part of the song they sing. Like verse nine, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. They're hoping a, 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 a human ruler will come and start a war and free them from the Romans. And, the, and right there in the song they're singing, it actually says, you're better off to take refuge from the Lord than look to a ruler. Verse 17, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. There's a promise here about being rescued from death, which Jesus is bringing and they don't know it. Verse 18, it says, the Lord has punished me severely, but he did not give me over to death. There's something here about being forgiven by God. And although our sins deserved death, he didn't give us over to death. That's something else that Jesus is bringing that they don't know about in the song they're singing. Verse 19, open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. Apostle Paul says that he who knew no sin, Jesus became sin, that we might know the righteousness of God. Jesus is that gate of righteousness that's opening to let people through. And they're singing this song and don't even realize it yet. In fact, Jesus himself will quote verse 22 and 23 in just a couple of days. It says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. That part of the song says the very thing that people are rejecting is about to become the main thing. 
And that is, of course, Jesus. They're about to reject Jesus, and yet he's about to become the cornerstone of everything that God is building. Look at all that we got by pressing the Psalm 118 hyperlink as they rode into Jerusalem. But they don't understand all this. And you can tell that they don't understand all this because of what they say in Matthew here in verse 10. It says, when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil asking, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet, Jesus, from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, calling him a prophet's a cool thing. It's an important thing. But it's not as cool as being called the Messiah. And they identify him as Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. They don't realize he was raised in Galilee, but he was born in Bethlehem. And he is from the line of David. And he, he fits the prophecies in where he comes from of who would come to reign over them. And, but they don't know that. It's probably just as well that they didn't quite put all that together because the truth is that they looked at the Messiah as someone who would come and start a war and free them from the Romans. And as we all know, that it's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus did not come to start a war. But I'm afraid he did come to pick a fight. And he's about to pick that fight at the end of this half mile ride. He rides down a thousand feet, the Mount of Olives, up a thousand feet, Zion to the temple. He goes into the temple and there's this big marketplace set up where they're selling doves and, and uh, lambs and things for sacrifice. And they have money changing tables um, because people come from all over the empire for this celebration. And they don't like them using Roman money because it has things printed on it that make them upset like Caesar is the son of God. So they make you trade your Roman money for Jewish money and then you can walk right over here and buy a dove with it. Um, he walks in and sees all this and all of a sudden he starts flipping these tables over. <laughs> And he's kicking chairs out. And, and he totally has a one-man riot in the temple. And that's one of our questions here. Uh, why does Jesus go in the temple and start turning over tables and chairs? So it seems like the text tells us what he, why he does that just right here in the text. He says, Jesus said to them, um, if I could only find it. Let's see. I probably could read it off the screen behind me, but I sure would like to find it here. Let's go. Oh, here it is. Jesus said to them, my house shall be called a house of prayer. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Now you look at that, you, you would think at first, well, he's just mad because this is where they're supposed to pray. And instead they've set up a marketplace. And that's true, but it's actually more than that. Because my house will be a house of prayer is another hyperlink. That is a quote from Isaiah 56. So if we press it and jump back to Isaiah 56... Let's see what we find there. Isaiah 56, in the first six verses, it says, someday God is going to open up the world so that people from all over the world can come and their sacrifices will be accepted before him too, not just uh, Jewish people. So that's pretty interesting. In fact, that's the part that he quotes. So verse seven says, there, uh, these I will bring to my holy mountain, and I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Then it goes on to eight. Thus says the Lord God who gathers the outcast of Israel. I will gather others to them besides those already gathered. And then if we finished this prophecy, the last four verses say, but Israel will be too blind and won't even know that God intended to reach the world through him. They'll just think God came to save them. And doesn't this market show that prophecy has come true? Because 
uh, the temple was set up in these concentric squares. And in the very middle one, called the Holy of Holies, only the high priest could go in there and only one day a year. Actually, tomorrow, Yom Kippur. Outside of that was a court where all priests could go. Outside of that was a court for all Jewish men. Around that, a court for all Jewish women. But around that, the outer court of the Gentiles, where people who weren't Jewish who wanted to pray to the God of Israel could come and they could pray. And that's where they set up the market. They set up tables of sheep and doves and money changers so that when foreigners came during the Passover and wanted to pray, there's no place for them. Just like the prophet Isaiah said, they won't even realize that God wants to reach the whole world and invite them to come to him. It's a house of prayer for all nations. And that's part of the reason Jesus goes off on the temple. Is he's saying, you guys don't realize God wants to do so much more than just you. He wants to reach the whole world. That's why I've come. Now, he then says, but you're turning it into a den of robbers. It's supposed to be a house of prayer, but you're turning it into a den of robbers. So some Bible scholars have said, well, they must have been charging people unfair prices there or cheating them or something like that. I actually don't think that's what was going on there because you have turned my temple into a den of robbers is also a hyperlink. That's also a quote from the Old Testament. And if we press that one, it takes us to Jeremiah 7. So let's press it and let's jump back to Jeremiah 7 and and here's what it says. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal and go after other gods that you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name and say, we are safe only to go on doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? You know, I too am watching, says the Lord. It's not that they were doing robber stuff inside. That's not what a den of robbers is for. A den of, of, for robbers is where they hide after they've done crimes elsewhere. You know, you go out and you rob people on the road and you go out and you steal and you beat people and then you come back and you hide for protection in the den of robbers. Jesus is saying, that's how you're treating my temple. You go out and you commit all these sins against others, against yourselves, against God. And then you come run back to this temple once a year on Passover and say, base. He's like, that's not how this works. That's not how this works. And then he says, you go out and you do all these abominations again. So you're not protected by your religious practice. You're protected by looking to God and looking to his king, which he's about to, which he kind of has already told him in riding in on a donkey and he's about to say again. So that passage means so much more than we thought it did at first, doesn't it? Then without using the clutch, it says that blind people and lame people came to Jesus and he healed them. Now that is also got a hyperlink on it. The blind people and the lame people come and he healed them. And if we touch that one, it will take us to Isaiah 35. So listen how much Isaiah 35 sounds like that. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. And if you read the whole prophecy from Isaiah 35, it says these will be the signs that the day of God's rescue has come. So he gets on a donkey and says, I am the king. He rides into the temple. He says, this is supposed to be a house of prayer for everyone. And, and, and it's, you know, it's not a den for robbers. The mission of God's about to start. And then he starts healing people to say, this is the day the Lord's rescue is beginning. Something new is starting right now. 
And then some kids who followed him into town are still singing the song, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I bet they had motions just like our kids. And Jesus is standing there doing the motions because he does it right. And then the authorities start going off. Do you hear what those kids are saying? Singing to you like you're the savior? Why don't you make them stop? Do you hear what those kids are saying? And I love Jesus' answer. Jesus says, um, Yes, have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you prepared praise for yourself? Okay, so this is our last question. Why do they get mad about the kids singing and not about the mess he just made in the temple? Well, who set up that market in that place? The priest. Who's making the money from that market? The priests. So if they say, why did you tear up our market? Jesus would be like, why did you set up something to make money in the place where people are supposed to pray? So they would probably just rather not talk about that. They could talk about he just, he just healed some people, but that practically proves he has the power of God in him. So they don't want to talk about that. So all they're left with is the songs the little kids are singing. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Like, Do you hear what those kids are saying? Make them stop. Now Jesus says, haven't you read that you prepare praise for yourself from the mouths of children? Now, this sounds like this, this most innocent thing that Jesus is saying today, and it is actually the most dangerous. This is the most dangerous thing he said yet today because that's a hyperlink. He's quoting Psalm 8. And if we bounce back to Psalm 8 to see what that's all about, it says, I'm going to read it on your screen because this Bible is just a little clunky. Um, and I like this translation. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength. Now, if you read that whole Psalm, it's talking about God. It's saying that God has prepared praise for himself when no one else will praise him. When a baby cries or a kid laughs or a kid sings, it brings praise to God. Now, here's why that's dangerous. Those people say to Jesus, do you hear what these kids are saying? They're praising you. Why don't you, you, know, why don't you stop them? Jesus says, haven't you heard? God prepares praise for himself through children. So who is he saying that he is? Oh, he knew what he was doing. Also, I like this because Jesus, I'm a card-carrying smart aleck. And, and Jesus is about half a smart aleck too sometimes. And if you read the second half of that, tells of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. So he's saying the songs these children sing are gonna silence you guys. You'll be done soon. I like that. Um, so that that's ornery. So Matthew just took us on quite a tour of the Old Testament and the Psalms. And from these strange events has told us a lot about who Jesus said he was. So what did we learn here today? The first thing we learned is that Jesus is not just a wise teacher. If you're Christian very long, then it's not going to be very much longer until somebody says to you, you know, Jesus is just a wise teacher. He never claimed to be anything special, a Messiah or the Son of God. That was all stuff people added later. The things Jesus said the Bible verses he quotes, the animals he chose to ride into town tell us that is not the case. That is not the case. He was a lot more than that, and he thought so himself. So if you've never read C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, you ought to this week. But uh, one thing C.S. Lewis says in there, he says, don't give me that stuff about Jesus being a wise teacher. He said, you can't read the Bible and get that. You can say these things about Jesus. You might be able to say he was some sort of demon or something because he made these claims and he could heal people and he could do stuff. Except, does Jesus really sound evil when he speaks? 
He said, you could say Jesus was a crazy person, that he looked at all this Old Testament stuff and, and said, I'm going to fulfill this and convince people I'm God. So you could say he was a crazy person. But does this thing he, the things he say really sound crazy? He said, or you can just accept that he is who he says he is, the Son of God and the Savior for the world. He said, the only thing you can't say about Jesus, he, he was a wise teacher. No wise teacher would get on a donkey knowing what that would make everybody think unless he actually thought that was true. Next thing we learn is that when they were waving those palm branches and laying branches on the road, they were looking for someone to come save them from their political enemies. And if we're honest, sometimes that's all we're really doing with the Bible too, is we're just looking for something that will help us get a leg up and have something smart to say to people who have different politics than we do. And, and Jesus continually comes to say, I am above all those politics. I am above Caesar. I am above any king. And so let's put that aside because what I'd really like to talk about is what's inside your own heart. And let's not worry about other people's sins. Let's talk about your sins. So as we wave branches for Jesus, it'd be good for us to remember that we're supposed to be inviting him into our heart, not to do something about someone else's heart. And the last thing that we learned from this passage today is that we cannot hide behind our religious activity. We can't, because we come to church every Sunday, say, well, I must be Christian and make that a replacement for knowing Jesus and following Jesus. Now, I don't want to make light of what we're doing here today. Um, when we do baptism, and it helps us to remember our own baptism, that we are buried with him and raised with him. And we're about to do the Lord's table. And I'll be honest with you, this week I have gossiped I have had uh, resentment in my heart and I'm going to come to this table and I'm going to ask for forgiveness. But if I do that, planning to go right back out and gossip some more and resent some more, then I'm just coming in here touching base and then going back and out and doing whatever I want. We're going to say these words in just a moment. Each day may Jesus Christ be as real to us as this food and this drink. And just like this food and this drink is a sign of forgiveness that's real, we've got to take that reality out and I've got to pray all during the week, Lord, thank you for forgiving me for my gossip. By the Holy Spirit, help me to you know, stop gossiping. It's bad for my soul and it hurts other people. And it's got to be real all through the week. My daughter learned this in a, in a big way several years ago. Um, she came home to her grandmother, calls her Nani. She was in junior high. She said, Nani, at school today, someone accused me of not being Christian. They said, are you really Christian? And I told them, what do you think? My dad's a pastor. And her naughty goes, ha, 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 that doesn't make any difference. <laughs> Older and wiser, right? Your pedigree, your family tree, that's not what makes you Christian. Where you go to church on the weekend, that's what makes you Christian. Knowing Jesus and following Jesus, that's what makes you Christian. So... She walks, she walks with the Lord today and, uh, and Nani has gone on to her reward and uh, I, thank you, I thank her for that lesson. That was a good lesson for us all. So the next time you find a hard passage in scripture, you're like, what are they saying and what are they doing? Just ask yourself, has this been said before? Has this happened before? And then go look at those places and read those whole sections because very often the meaning is actually far clearer and easier to understand there. And you can take that meaning and bring it back here and it'll help you understand this passage. That's why the author used those words and events to point you to the other pieces of the story. 
Now, if you're saying, how would I know where all that other stuff came from? That comes from your Bible. If you have a, a good study Bible, it'll have little letters and little numbers and little footnotes that tell you, see Zechariah 9, chapter 9. So if you don't have a Bible that works that way, I want to recommend one for you now. So there's a lot of good study Bibles and yours is great. Um, but if you don't, I recommend this one. I recommend the Quest Study Bible. I love this one. Um, they, to do this Bible, they asked uh, hundreds and hundreds of Sunday schools around the country, while you're studying the Bible, would you have everybody in your class write down the questions they're having and send them to us? And then they took the 10,000 most asked questions and they sent them then to Bible colleges and uh, seminaries and said, would you answer these questions in a short paragraph? And then they took like seven or 8,000 of them and they put them in the margins of this Bible. So when I read the Bible, I find like, ooh, that's weird. What's that mean? Well, it turns out thousands of other people had that same question and there's their question and somebody's answer. So 90% uh, of the time I find my head scratchers right here in the margins already. And it also has those little letters and numbers at the bottom of the page that tell you where else this has happened or where this strange phrase they're using was said before. So check that out. If you decide you want to become a member of Lakeland Community Church and you take our Discover Lakeland course and you mention there, I don't really have a Bible that does all that, this is the one that we give you. So um, I hope that helps you. I hope that we haven't just learned something from Matthew 21 today, but we've learned something about how to read our Bible today that you can use for all of the other 65 books. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Um, we thank you, Lord, that you call yourself king, a king who's come to save us, a king that's come to bring peace to the whole world, a king that we can know. Help us to know you more and more. It is in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.